And so my temptations all come from wanting to, you know, make people think well of me rather than making, you know, pleasing God and seeking to please Him. And so when people say, oh, we should stand out, for me, that's, that's such a hard thing. And I, I confess there are times when I fail to do that and I feel like a fraud. And uh, I wonder if that's you too. If there are things, in, in, it may not be about people pleasing, there may be things in your life where you say, I'm a Christian, but there's something in you that goes, I feel a little bit like a fraud. I, I know, you know, whatever the, the thing is, a proper Christian, a good Christian, a perfect Christian, or whatever it is, I don't actually live the way I know that pleases God perfectly. If that's you here today, and you're a Christian, and that, that's how you're feeling, welcome to the club. Uh, we all actually feel like that in one way or another. And what I wanted to do today was to look at how we, how we deal with that as the people of God. What do we do? How do we fix that? Do we shrug our shoulders and go, well, I guess we're all like that, so there's nothing better we can do? Or is there, or, or worse, that we pretend that no one will notice that we haven't got it together and we try and kind of make it up and, and make us look like, you know, you know how ducks swim? You ever seen how that works? The duck up on the top, everything, they just they look so graceful and they're just moving along. But if you look underneath, their legs are just, you know, paddling away. And you're, everyone's looking at me, I've never seen a duck swim. Yeah. Okay, you, you need to go and watch it. Yeah, thanks. And, um, but, but we're working hard underneath to make it look like we've all got it together on the surface. That's, that, that, that's, a, that's not the way that we should be dealing with it. And today as we come to look at Abraham and the way that he lives out his faith, we'll see there are things here that we can learn from what it means to live uh, as an imperfect person of God. So let me pray. Father, I want to pray now that you will help us to listen to what you are saying. I want to pray, Father, that you will help us to understand your word honestly and truthfully, that we will look at the ways that we, we fail to live the way you want us to live, that we sin, we displease you, we do the wrong thing, Help us to, to look at that and to, to see it as we see it and see it as you see it, to, to deal with it as you would have us deal with it. And we thank you for the life of Abraham. We thank you that he continued to trust in you. That we pray now as we look at this part of his life that we will not just know him better, but more importantly, we'll know your son better. And we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Um, Abraham, who was here last week? Who remembers that I was here last week? I'm good, okay. Um, Abraham started well, didn't he? You know, he's given these great promises of God, these amazing promises of God that even today people are still looking to hold on to. And, and he moves from basically Iraq and he heads up to uh, Syria and he comes down into the Middle East. He moves his family. He, he then stands up and he worships God. He, for those of you who remember, he, he, he builds an altar at the Oak of Mamre. And the Oak of Mamre was where the Canaanites worshipped their God. And he basically built an altar and goes, let me tell you about my God right there in the middle of it all. And, then, and so we, ha- and we end the chapter with this amazing picture. And then we get to chapter, the rest of it. We haven't even finished the chapter. And, and Abraham seems to move from hero to zero before we even get there. I'm sorry, if you're reading, if you're hearing me say Abraham and you're reading Abram, uh, his name gets changed in a couple of chapters and I can't translate it in my head, so just bear with me on that. 
But you'll notice what happens here. He goes from, from someone who shows a great confidence and strength in God to, well, read with me from verse 10 again. Now there was a famine in the land, and so Abram went down to Egypt to live there for a while because the famine in the land was severe. And when he was about to enter Egypt, he said to his wife, Sarai, Look, I, I know what a beautiful woman you are. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is, my, this is his wife, and they will kill me and let me live. Please say that you're my sister, so it will go well for me because of you, and my life will be spared on your account. Um, was it a bad thing for Abram to leave the Promised Land and go to Egypt? I don't know. I, I've been wrestling that one for a couple of months. I still haven't got an answer for it. But the one thing he does do that is bad is that he he tells his wife to lie. And why does he do this? Now we'll come back to this in a moment. But why does he just stop there? Uh, a guy called Kent Hughes, I think, summed this up so well. He said, "Abram did the natural thing, and herein the problem lies. Abram's going to Egypt was not." so much as an intentional sin as a reflexive turn to his own devices. You're not sure what that means? He said, he didn't deny God, he simply forgot him. He, he forgot how great God is. Now don't we often do that? We, it's not that we go, as Christians, it's not that we, we declare ourselves atheists and go, there is no God, but we just forget how great God is, that He is with us. And so he asks his wife to lie. And that, that's, that's a, a, a bad thing in itself. Actually, did he go, you know, when he said, you are my sister, was he lying? Actually, come with me there, just look over to chapter 20, just for a moment. Chapter 20. Um, this is not the only time Abraham will do this. Uh, actually, this happens a number of times, and you kind of get, get the feeling, every time you read through Genesis, you go, this has happened before. Chapter 20, it happens again. But come with me to verse 11. As he's trying to explain it to someone, Abraham replied, chapter 20, verse 11, I thought there is absolutely no fear in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Because she really is my sister, the daughter of my father, though not the daughter of my mother, and she became my wife. So... When God um, had me wander from house to house, I, uh, from my father's house, I said to her, show your loyalty to me wherever you go and say about me, he is my brother. So I don't know how that works, but there seems to be some sort of weird relationship there that, you guys remember Jerry Springer? Yeah, it kind of looks like something from Jerry Springer. But it's a heart lie. Uh, he, yes, she, she could be regarded as his sister, but really, she is his wife. And a half-truth, I think, is more dangerous than an out-and-out -out lie. And again, how many of us who, whose sins are in people-pleasing, how many of us choose to speak the half-truth? The truth that isn't, it's, it's not an out-and-out -out lie, it contains some of the truth, or at least we say some of the truth, but we leave out some parts along the way. That's what Abraham's doing. Now, just as a side thing, can I just talk to the husbands for a moment? He's asking his wife to lie. Um, Sarah is actually set up, she is an example of a godly wife. In 1 Peter 3, 6, she's, she's given to, you know, Christian wives, as, if you want to know what it means to be a godly wife, go see Sarah. But I want to say, if you're a husband who wants, your, who wants to leave your wife and you want to see her in a, in a, in a godly submission, don't ask her to do dumb things. Don't ask her to do stupid things. 
leading her is not enough. You've got to lead her in the right direction. You've got to lead her into godliness. So don't ask her to do dumb things. And if you're not sure it's a dumb thing, if God has given you a great gift in your wife, ask her if, you think this, if she thinks it's a dumb thing. Or if you're, not, you're still not sure, ask one of your brothers. We'll be very clear. We'll be like, you know, like, hey, I think that, I'm, I'm thinking of saying that my wife is my sister. What do you think, guys? And um, we're usually loving enough to go, hey, you know what, mate? That's a dumb thing. You shouldn't do that. Okay, let's, let's try and work out another way of doing that. But that's just a side thing. Husbands, don't ask your wife to do dumb things. But he comes back and he asks Sarah to, do, to say he's his sister. Why does he do it? I, I think it's a case of self-protection. Um, he sees her. If you come back to me in chapter 12, uh, he says, you know, um, honey, you're really beautiful. I'm sure, I'm not quite sure whether he's, how this works out. You know, I think you're really beautiful, so say you're my sister. I don't know how she takes that, but he says she's really beautiful. And apparently she is quite beautiful because by the time her, um, her, she comes into Egypt, her beauty has, has, her reputation has made it to Pharaoh. And Abraham is afraid for his life. He's afraid that if she comes in, that he's going to get killed and they're going to take her. Now, I have now, I found no evidence. I've looked a little bit, and, and I'm sure some of the other tell me if I'm wrong, but I've never found any evidence the Egyptians actually did this. So I don't know where Abram's getting this from. I think he's just become scared. He's, he's worried about his safety. He's worried about his security. He's walking into a foreign land, and he doesn't know what's going to happen. Isn't that weird? Because in chapter, the first part of chapter 12, didn't he just walk into a foreign land and he walked in and go, God has given me this land, I'm going to set up altar, I'm going to worship God. Walks into another foreign land and all of a sudden he becomes this scared little guy. He's forgotten God. He's forgotten how great God is. And, and so he, 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 do you see there's a problem with this plan? Does this plan just sound weird to, to you? Hey honey, say you're my sister so they don't kill me. Like, how did you, don't you ever want to just take Abraham's side and go, mate, how do you think this is going to work out? How, how do you think this is going to work out in a good way? They're going to go, hey, she's really good looking, can I marry her? And you just say no, and they, they're going to be okay with that. How is this ever going to work? But when we're faced with sin, don't we justify the same thing? Don't we sit there and say, I, I will rebel against God. And you go, and, and, but if you stop to think about it, go, how will this work? It, it's never going to end well. And I want to say, if you are tempted, you know that God has done, you, you're, you're facing with something, you know is the wrong thing, and you're tempted for that. Why don't you stop and think, how is this going to work out? What's the end result of all of this? But Abram, he was worried about himself. And he forgot God. He didn't deny him. He just simply forgot him. He, he, wanted to, he wanted security and he wanted safety. And he did not trust God for that. And so the way that uh, Kent Hughes puts it, Abram's lack of trust in God, doubting he would keep his promise, had reduced him to a spinning little man. This great giant of faith had become for the present a very small man and he felt it. And just for a moment, just think about that. Here's a guy who has great confidence in God's promises when he walks into the promised land and that confidence now wanes. And he now starts to do the things that he shouldn't do. Again, isn't this us? Aren't we like that? I mean, it's easy to kind of go, Abraham, stupid guy. But isn't that like us? Aren't there times when we walk away from a talk or a conference or a book or something and we go, God is great and I, I trust God and I'm going to 
do everything I can for God, and then it's just a matter of a week later, and all of a sudden we're compromising, and we're giving up, and we're, we're not trusting God, and we don't know that He'll come through, and, and we've become the Abraham of Egypt. We've lost the Abraham of the promised land. But that's really the essence of sin, isn't it? That sense of scheming, of thinking, I, I can work this out, I can make this happen. I can do better than God. Isn't that what sin is? I can do it better than God. Worship is what we should give God. Our love, our trust, our obedience. And let me ask you right now, are there things that you trust or you love or you obey more than God? Abram trusted in his own ability. Abram loved his own security more than God. And I want to ask you, what replaces God in your life? Or what could replace God in your life? Abraham's not denying God. He's just forgetting him and replacing him. And often, that, that's really what happens is God, God's, God's in our top five of our life. He's just not number one. And I'm sure that Abraham's, you know, he had completely forgotten God. God gets into his top five, but number one is his own security and safety to the point where he will compromise his wife and his marriage for his own safety. Because he loved that more. We sin because we don't treat God as God. We sin because we don't trust his promises. We sin because we don't trust God, is what it comes down
So then I took her as my wife. And here's your wife, take her and go. Then Pharaoh gave his men orders about him, and they sent him away and his, with his wife and all they had. God stops this from happening. He stops the he stops Pharaoh, I think he stops Pharaoh from actually taking her on as his wife, that is, sleeping with her. And he prevents that from happening by sending plagues. Now already that should actually, for those of us who know our Bibles well, plagues in Egypt. Ring a bell? Yeah. For the, for those of you who want to read on, this is sort of a, a thing leading up to the Exodus, but we'll leave that just for one moment. Um, instead, God sends plagues and they stop. Pharaoh from doing this. And Pharaoh all of a sudden, I don't know how he works this out, but I guess the, the plagues came and he sent for his wise men to go, hey, why are the plague, plagues coming? God speaks through the wise men. I'm guessing this is what happened, but I don't know. And he finds out, actually, Sarah's already married. He's marrying a, he's, he's preparing to marry a married woman. And so he, he, he stops her. And, and this, I think, is an important lesson for us, that God does prevent us from sinning sometimes. He does discipline us. As we see in, uh, in Hebrews. Let me read that. Can you read that? I'll read it out to you anyway. So you can. As, and you have forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons. My son, do not take the Lord's discipline lightly or faint when you are reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. Endure suffering as discipline. God is dealing with you as sons. For what son is there that a father is not disciplined? But if you are without discipline, which or receive, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Furthermore, we had natural fathers discipline us and we respected them. Shouldn't we respect even more the father of spirits and life? Well, they disciplined us for a short time based on what seemed good to them, but he does it for our benefit so that we might share his holiness. No discipline seems enjoyable at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it yields the fruit of peace and righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Like I said, we should always stop and ask the question, what is God teaching me right now? What is God teaching you right now? Some of it might be, I'm going through hardship, I'm going through discipline, and it may be to make you a more, more godly person, and it may be to, to, for you to turn aside from sin, to prevent you from sin. It might be something like that. But it's important that we open our eyes to heaven. Is there something that he's trying to get your attention on right now? Something in your life that does not belong? But Abraham is... Uh, the, the, sorry, the Egyptians are rescued from Abraham's sin. His lying did not lead to adultery. And um, we see here that... Um, uh, the, 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 the Egyptians worked this out. And, uh, and they actually, it's pretty, pretty blunt. Actually, in the original language, it's basically take wife go. It's, it's not, it's just, I, I'm done with you. You almost had me sin. And, and Abram should know better. He knows God. He has the promises of God. He should know better. And so Pharaoh's going, hey, what did you do to me? You almost had me step over the line. Take wife, go. I don't want you here anymore. So he prevents it. But, there is even there is one more thing I want us to keep in mind. This is not the end of the story, though it could have been. Abram uh, is not rejected by God. He lied. He was deceitful. 
He, he compromised his marriage, and yet God doesn't reject him. Did you notice that? The, the story goes on. And, and God keeps his promises. In the chapters to come, we'll even see more detail and, and more confidence about this. Now, if this, if, if being God's people was about religion, that is to say, being God's people is about you, you do the right thing, you tick the right boxes, then you're in, and if you get them wrong, you're out. If that was the case, Abram would be out. Did you lie? Yes, you're out. Did you compromise marriage? Yep, you're out. I mean, there are a whole bunch of, did you trust God? No, you're out. But Abram's not out. This is because God's people are not about religion, we are about mercy and grace. Abram is not here because he's a good guy, he's here because God is a great God, and God is a God who forgives. Now, you are here not because you're a great, good person, but because God is a merciful God and He forgives. He sends His Son to die for us. He gives us promises of eternal life. Not because we're the good guys, but because He's the good God, the gracious God. Now, if you're struggling with sin, one of the things that can happen is that the, the devil can get into your ear and say, Ah, you see, you're sinning. You, and what happens is, the way he works is he, he gets you to look around this room and he goes, you see all these other people? They've got it together. But you haven't. You're sinning. And if they knew that, they would get you, they'd kick you out right now. And that is all a lie. Because we are all sinners and we are all here by the grace of God. See, how do we deal with our sin? Well, the first thing we need to keep in mind is we are sinners. And as a church, we've got to stop playing the game, I'm not a sinner, you're not a sinner. You know that game? That's that, that game where we all pretend that I've got it, you know, I pretend I've got it together, and you pretend you've got it together, and we just pretend that we've all got it together and it's all okay. That's not the gospel, and that's not Christian. I have things I don't have together, that's why I wanted to tell you about it at the start of this talk. I have sins in my life. You have sins in your life. Let's at least own up and be honest with each other and go, hey, I've got sins here. I read a blog recently about uh, you know the new new cool churches that are coming around, and the key buzzword is authentic. We want everyone to be authentic. And this blog just went to town on churches that are authentic. Because it's saying what we what, what that means is that people want to be honest and open with each other, but play this stupid game where we, we don't you know admit our sins to each other. Because that's not authentic, that's just a stupid game. The first thing we need to do is actually admit, we are sinners. And then I, I, I hope that we get to a point where, where in your, uh, your gospel communities you are able to confess your sins to those who are there. And not be ashamed and not be afraid to do that. I know that there'll be, I'm, I'm guessing in a room this big, there are going to be some people who are struggling with sins and they go, yeah, but if you knew what I, this is just so weird and perverse and out there, if you knew what I was dealing with, I'm going, yeah, I, I've got a rough idea of what the human heart is like. Nothing you say will surprise me. And nothing you should say should surprise each other. Because we are sinners. I mean, Abraham was a guy who had the promises of God. He's a giant of faith. And we haven't even finished a chapter. And he's already compromising his marriage and life. We're just like that. We're under grace. We're under mercy. We're sinners, and we are sinners who are saved. 
That, that's what Christians are. We're people who have been saved. But the second thing I want you to keep in mind is we are sinners and we need to, to ask ourselves, why is it that we sin? Because like Abram, we forget God. We forget how great God is. Why do I keep falling into the sin of people pleasing? Because I want people to like me. But really, what's more important? You guys like me or the great, greatest being that has ever existed? Me pleasing him. Me showing my love to him. I'm sorry, but you know, he is such a great... You guys don't compare so why do I keep falling in it? Because I keep losing sight of God. You know that too? You lose sight of how great God is, how big God is. You notice how we keep turning the volume down on everything? In, in the West particularly, I don't know what we do. We, we have this thing where we turn the volume down. So we keep going, when, when the Bible says we're bad, we go, yeah, well, you know, we're bad. We go, well, we're kind of bad. We're, we're not that bad. And then God is gracious. We go, well, because we're not that, that bad, God is, when we mean gracious, he's kind of that. God is holy, and we go, oh, well, God is holy, but he's a God we know. So when, when, when the Bible talks about holy, he, we just turn the volume back down here. And we just, really just get so down. We've got to keep in mind, God is incredibly holy, and we are, in, and he's incredibly great and big. Don't lose your sight of God. And so listen to God. Hold his promises. I don't know what you need to do to do that. In fact, what I'd love you to do this week, this week, I want you to tell me, I want you to email me, and tell me, how have you held, kept hold of God's promises this week? And it might be for you, um, you know, it's, it's, it's daily Bible reading. Now for me, at the moment, my Bible, daily Bible reading, I'm just reading some random Psalms, and I've got this, uh, this cool software that does all these highlighting kind of stuff. So I'm highlighting stuff, and I've got little symbol stuff, and I'm going... And, and I read the psalm and go, oh, that's nice. And then I, I, I highlight it. Wow, this is amazing. God is so great. This is fantastic. And it shapes the rest of my day. That's how I do it. But what about you? How are you going to do that? Is it you put a Bible verse on your phone so every time you go and you know, look up Facebook, there it is on your, 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 your the wallpaper on your phone or something? How are you going to do it? Do you put it on your, your, um, on your fridge so every time you go to the fridge? Or we've got some Bible verses on our mirror in our bathroom so every time I go and I'm, I'm trying to show them, yeah, it's working to the glory of God. Yes. Oh, no, I shouldn't do that. I should focus on this. What are you doing? Can you, can you please let me know this week? What are you doing to keep your mind and your heart and your life focused on the promises of God and how great God is? Let me pray now for us and then I'll answer any questions if I can. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the promises that you give to us. But more importantly, Father, thank you so much that you show what a great, good God you are. It's not to be like the Abraham of Egypt who forgets. He turns his, his attention back onto himself, worried about security and safety and himself and not about you. Help us to love you, to respect you, Treat you as God. To trust you. To obey you. To worship you. Heavenly Father, we pray and we are sorry for those times that we have failed in this. 
acknowledge that we are sinners. We acknowledge that we have get it wrong. We acknowledge that we continue to get it wrong. And we are sorry. And thank you so much that Jesus died to forgive us, to pay the penalty that was owed because of those wrongs. Father, help us to have a big picture of how big you truly are. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let me open it up. Are there any questions, comments? Oh, hey, hey, yeah, good. Uh, let me, I'll go across this way. I'll start with Mel and we'll go from there. Yeah. Oh, this is probably going to be a very quick question. Um, that's a good way to kick off. How old is Sari when she was Does anyone have older than 75? Yeah, she, uh, I'm, I'm trying to work out what I can see here. She's about 65, so she's about 10 years younger. Uh, but apparently she's a good looking 65. So, yeah. There's a, I mean, um, I, I won't do it because there's a number of other questions, but there's a couple of different theories as to why, as the commentators put it, she's such a hot-looking 65-year-old. Um, but one of the things is, I mean, she's, she, she lives to 100, so she's sort of, I, I guess in some ways, we'd think of her in her 40s. Uh, so, yeah. Thanks. Yeah. So, my question is, I can't Two answers to that. Let me give you the, the one answer, which 
the answer I'm supposed to give is that God is gracious and He is kind and He kind of he does but, <laughs> but actually, I wonder whether there are actually consequences. So we looked at, so you just listed off all those things. He's got the, the, the flocks, the herds, male and female donkeys, male and female slaves and camels, right? We look at that and go, oh, that's a good thing. But I, as we go to the next chapter, I'm wondering whether it actually is a good thing. The first thing with that, he's got all that stuff, and the first thing that happens because of all that stuff is his family has to be family divides, and, and he loses life. So that's the, the first thing. The second thing that will come up, in the, sorry, I'm just letting you know, this will come up in chapters to come. The, the, the other thing is, um, one of the things he acquires is female slaves from Egypt. Now, if you read on a little bit further on, uh, there is more problems with Abram's um, family, and one of them's got to do with a female slave from Egypt. So there are some consequences that will, that will pop up later on. So I hear what you're saying, you kind of go, yeah. yep. Why, why, why? Yeah, that, that is an unusual kind of thing. And um, I think we're going to pick that theme up next week. So, yeah. Calipers, yeah? Yeah, Dennis? church that actually understands that we don't play the game of I'm okay, you're okay, I'm not a sinner, you're not a sinner. And so part of it is that we are actually able, um, I'm hoping that we have a community, and I don't think we're there yet, but we have a community where we are able to actually confess our sins openly to each other. Now whether that is in a gospel community or whether it's just to their close friends, whatever, around us, but there is the acknowledgement there. And so when somebody new walks in and they go, oh well I can't the worst thing would be is if someone walked, you walked in and said, I don't belong here because I'm not as good as them, then we are communicating the gospel, not just from the front, but in our lives. Yeah. Now, how does that work? I, and how does that work? I, I, I'd like to, like I said, would, you know, when you have prayer points in gospel community that you're actually saying, I'm struggling with, I'm struggling, I'm, you know, it might be, I'm, I'm not struggling with porn, but I'm just struggling looking at images on the, on the internet that I just don't need to watch or things like that. But, but I don't want people to revel in their sin either and say, well, I've got to go and do some horrendous sin so I've got something to confess on whatever night. <laughs> you need a sermon illustration? Yeah, I need, I need, because, you know, so-and-so is struggling with, you know, um, looking at really bad, uh, hardcore images and I'm just looking at soft porn, so I'm going to have to gear up my porn. So if you, know, like, you can go really the wrong way, but I'm saying... To say, I recognise, and part of the thing is, I'm just, I think a lot of us are just bumbling along in life, and we're actually not stopping to think, what sin is in my life? What, what, what am I doing wrong? Like, I'm looking along and going, well, I'm doing about as good as that person and that person, and we're doing all okay, so I guess I'm doing okay. And go, no, 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 when I open the Bible, where, where is that? Now, because some people, uh, I, uh, some people I know, you can just open the Bible and be convicting, that's really, that, that's a good thing, but if you want to play the comparison game, don't play it with each other. Go to the old guys and read that. I'm currently reading through some guys from like Jonathan Edwards. And if you're, you're someone who's going, I, I'm struggling with time, read, read some stuff by Jonathan Edwards. This guy goes, I am committed to making every second of my waking day committed to God. And I sit there going, well, I spend about half an hour on Facebook, so I'm not even quite doing it like that. So, yeah, sorry, that's a roundabout answer. That's okay. It's not very easy. Really. 
Well, yeah. yeah, I mean, I mean, just on, on her, yep. on her, like her responsibility for her body, and 
fantastic conversation out of her afternoon tea. Did, did she, didn't she, I don't know, did, you know, maybe she did, maybe she didn't, I don't know, I don't know what the passage said, and if you guys want to have a conversation about that, you can. But let me say to the wise here today, yes, if you think your husband's about, uh, if you think your husband's asking you to do something stupid, you go, honey, I love you, and I respect you, but I don't think this is a good idea. Can we talk about this before we commit ourselves to it? Right? Because a husband's job is to, is to present his wife as a godly example to, to um, to Jesus, and his wife's job is to help him do that. And so, if she sees him going and doing something, her way to help that is to be in a respectful, godly way to say, Hey, you know what, honey, I think us going to a Buddhist temple every Sunday is not going to be great for our Christian lives. You know, I'm just putting it out there. Um, you know, so it is, it's a team work effort. Did Sarah do that? Did she not? I don't know. Was she culpable because she didn't? I don't know. Happy just to deal with that. I didn't do it with what, what, what our focus here is actually on Abram, that his faith, giant in, in, at the start of chapter 12, crushes it at the, by the end of chapter 12. And we'll see in chapter 13, he does make a, a great comeback. But uh, I want you guys to keep in mind that our confidence in God, it does go up and down. That's just part of what it means to be the people of God. We want to make sure that it's up as much as it can, but if, you're, if you feel like your confidence is just holding on by a thread, I want you to go back to the words of Jesus. Uh, what's the size of faith that will save you? A mustard seed. If you just hold him onto a thread, he will hold on to you. Because even when we are faithless, he is faithful. Let me pray. Father, thank you so much for your word to us. Thank you again that your faithfulness to us. Uh, Father, there have been some good questions here. Uh, I'm not sure whether I answered them well, so we pray for wisdom as a community. Help us to focus on what you are saying in the Word. Uh, help us to work out what we can learn from Abram and what we can't. But Father, thank you so much that Jesus died for us. Thank you that we are saved and in our confidence ways we are still saved. And we thank you for that in Jesus' precious name. Uh, it says uh, feedback forms. I'm going to hold on on that for a moment. What I want to do is move on to rostering. Uh, so I want to move on to ministry and how we can serve one another. If you're new or visiting to this church, uh, just bear with us. This is sort of our household thing. Over the next couple of weeks, what I want to do is do some, um, do some work on making sure what we have up here, particularly on a Sunday, works really well. So, a couple of things that we have. We actually have a rostering system where we have different people doing different things up the front. Um, you'll notice there are people who will Pray up the front, read the Bible up the front, and I shouldn't have put that slide on because you're all a slide on there now. Um, there'll be different things that happen around the place, and the reason we do that is because this is not a hotel, it's a home. By which I mean, you know when you go to a hotel, and uh, you go away and all of a sudden your bed gets made, you go away and then come back and your bed's made? Yeah. yeah. Anyone know that? You serious? Yeah. Okay, about a few people. Yeah, okay, cool. Um, this is not that kind of experience, where if it doesn't get done, it, there are not, not a magic... Uh, ourselves who go around just making stuff happen. We need to have that happen. And part of that is that church is not just where I work, it's where we all work. There's some passages up there that talk about how we work together as a body, and my job is to equip us as a community to be able to serve one another. And, uh, and so I, I want you to come, ideally, I know there are several people who come here every Sunday with the expectation of, I'm here to serve, what do I do this week? Sometimes they'll be on a roster, sometimes they won't, sometimes they'll just go, you know what, I've got to fill in for someone, what am I doing? Yeah. That's part of where it is, but rostering is part of that. And so we have two really great resources when it comes to rostering. 
Uh, one of them is, I hope you know, is Elvanto, which is our online database system. Uh, on your, your outline, you'll notice that they've, they've, they've changed over where the thing is hosted at the moment, so if you're not sure, just look at those little website things. And uh, if you can't get onto Elvanto, can you please let myself or Nick know? If you can't, if you're not getting emails from, from our rostering system, can you please let Nick know there's probably a problem somewhere we want to fix it and we'll fix it as soon as we possibly can. So one of our uh, great resources is Alvanto. The other great resource is this good-looking man, Nick. does an amazing job of keeping all of our rostering and all that sort of ministry stuff flowing really smoothly. I'm immensely thankful to him because I do it for a month every so often and I am ready to put my fist through a wall sometimes. It's a very frustrating job, but he does a brilliant job of it. And we want to make his job as easy as possible. So here are a few things that we're going to put in practice to make sure we've got it all clear. If you know that you aren't going to be here, could you please use the unavailability thing? And I'll show you what that is at the moment. Yeah, in a moment. Right, so if you know you've got, if you've got exams coming up, you know you just can't get rusted on, just stick it on. If you know that you're not going to be here at a family thing, you've got holidays, um, you know that you're scheduled in six months to get sick, uh, just if you know you're not going to be around, can you please put that in? It just saves Nick a whole bunch of time because it locks you out of the rostering system, basically. So, you know, um, it goes, so Sonny's not here in three weeks' time, and Nick goes to put Sonny on Bible and just goes, no, nah, you can't do that. So it makes things easier. Please check your, we can do this via email, so please check your email. Um, if you don't check your email, can you please check the website every so often? When you, when you log on, it will say, oh, you're being rostered on for this. It will just be up very, very quickly. Uh, we understand people will get sick on Sundays. If you are sick, could you please contact Nick and he will arrange something for you. We understand that happens sometimes. But we want to introduce this. If you haven't responded four days out, that is, if you haven't responded by the Wednesday before the Sunday, and then all of a sudden you decide you can't do it, it's up to you to change. Because we figure if you can't tell us that you, you can't do it, then you need to do something. That, that's, that, that's sort of our stick approach to we want you to respond. Okay? So when you get an email, you'll get a thing that has a green button and a red button. Which button do you press? <laughs> Which button do you press? The green button. If you can do it, the red button if you can't. Got it? This is what will happen. On the, on the website, you'll have something with your uh, wonderful looking page. There'll be a little, there's a little menu on the top. There's, there's availability. It's a little menu thing. You press that, this thing comes up, and what we want you to do, fill in the dates. That's all we want. Um, don't worry about the locations. Don't worry about the unavailability reason. You, you, I mean, particularly if you work for an organisation like the CIA and they're off on a secret mission, we don't really want to know. You, you don't have to tell us, but you can tell us if you want to. But we just need the dates plugged in. Are there any questions about that? The golden message here is please respond to your requests. The golden message is 